Uh, we don't do themes in my house with trees. Uh, we have all manner of lights. I believe 1,350 if I counted them correctly this year. So it's actually a fire hazard. Um, <laughs> but it's a festive fire hazard. We also have every ornament under the sun. And they probably all mean something really important. At some point in the future, I've been told we're going to have a tree with white lights and it's going to all match and stuff like that. I don't care about any of that. All right? This is, this is what Christmas looks like in the Duncan house. All right? And, but isn't it interesting, though? Uh, when you look at the tree, you're not one of those weird people that take down your decorations on Christmas afternoon, okay? Like the rest of the world. You keep your tree up through the holiday week. All right. Isn't it interesting how when you look at your tree on December 26th, there's a different sort of feeling in your heart about it than on December 25th. Isn't that right? All right. Especially if you are um, the parent uh, who knows that in the not too distant future, you get the unpleasant task, right, of having to take everything off of the tree. All right. And isn't there a, a different kind of a ceremony in place when you take down the tree than when you put it up, right? <laughs> There's a lot of excitement when you get the tree. We go and cut a tree every year. Uh, it's one of our family traditions. We pick out the tree. It's hours spent picking the right one. It's got to have the right shape. It can't have any holes in here and there. It's been a source of great joy and conflict in our family in the Christmas season, finding the right tree, all right? A lot of effort put into decorating it, right? All those lights, all those ornaments. There's Christmas music playing in the background. There's special food laid out. Everyone is excited about it. But then when it's time to put away the tree, I find my volunteer base has shrunk, right, to help with that task, right? <laughs> right? And as much as I, I look at the tree now, and I'm like, it's, it's not New Year's yet. It's still the holidays. I'm trying to find joy in that. And in the back of my mind, I know there's a time limit to this. Right? And I'm reminded by that by the increasing amount of needles that are falling on my living room floor. Or just when you're standing there in a quiet moment and an ornament just falls off the tree and you're like, all right, buddy, you're almost done, right? It's unceremonious, right? And that, that object of joy and that reminder of the holidays, that beautiful thing that we spent so much money and time on getting to look just right, in just a few short days looks like the other tree, right? The picture we showed first, right? There it is unceremoniously tossed. You can cover your eyes, kids. That's sad, right? Our tree, friend, our tree friend is out by the road. But that's the reality, isn't it? And why do we do that? Why do we do that? Right, the holidays are over, right? But, but also, importantly, as it comes to the tree, what's wrong with the tree? It's dead. Now, let's be honest, though. That tree began that process a long time before, didn't it? It began when that saw was put to the bark of that tree, and that, that glorious tree that took seven to eight years to grow, suddenly down on the ground and being hauled off to someone's house, right? You look at that, though, and those trees are beside the road. I don't know if you're like me, and you're kind of like, there's something just not right about this picture. Because we know that's not the natural way that that tree was meant to live, right? To be put up in a house and then tossed by the road. Like, if you go out into a forest... You can find trees like Christmas trees, evergreen trees, that are upwards of 80 feet tall. Right? They can literally live hundreds of years. In fact, I, I found with a little bit of research that another member of the pine family, the bristlecone pine, can live upwards of 5,000 years, supposedly. I don't know that anyone's been around long enough to track that, but I'm just saying. 5,000 years, can you believe that, if left to its own devices? That's a natural way for that tree to live, right? Why does it continue to live that way, though? What's the difference in a tree like that and my Christmas tree by the road? 
still connected to the roots, right? That's where it's drawing its life from. As we think about this year that's ahead, this is an interesting week, right? We finished Christmas, but it's not New Year's yet. And I don't know if you're like me, I'm fairly reflective this time of year about how I want to see things different next year, right? What things I, I hope for, what things that I want to plan for, what things I'm praying for over my family and in my own heart. As we look into God's word today, I hope that we can each leave with a sense of how Christ wants us to respond and how his, his desire for us is that we would experience life in him, true life, the, may, the way we were meant to live it, through every season of the year, right? Why do they call Christmas trees evergreens, right? Because they, they stay green. They don't drop their leaves throughout the entire year. In the heat of summer, they're green. In the snowy winters, they're green. And like that, I pray that as we go through God's word today in John 15, you will see that and make, make a plan for that in your life as well. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. The question I want to ask you today, as we stand on this cusp of a new year, potentially with different seasons of life in it, seasons of happiness, perhaps seasons of sorrow, seasons of busyness, seasons of rest, how can we make a plan to stay healthy and growing in every season of 2020? This is what I want you to store in the back of your mind It's our big idea of the day as we focus and look at the passage. Experiencing life in Christ is found in a choice to live connected to Christ. Right? That's not redundant. It's it's intentional. Experiencing that life in Christ, the life he intends for me, is found in a choice to live connected to him. Right? I'm making a conscious choice to do that. Look at John chapter 15. I'm going to read the first few verses here. It's another illustration Jesus used of a different growing thing, but it's a perfect example for us today. I am, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I'm going to look at three things we need to keep in check as we ask, how do I live a life this year? Of, this, of experiencing the fullness of what Christ has for me in 2020. What's a plan that I can do? There's three things I want to look at today. First, consider your connection. All right, consider your connection. Go back to verse number one. It says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, I'm not a person that grows grapes, all right? And there's, there's vineyards nearby, right? But in theory, right, there's a, there's a master vine that grows and there's all of these little branches that come off of it. And where are the grapes attached to? Where are the grapes attached to, kids? You know this. On the branches, right? All right? And where are the branches attached to? The vine, right? The vine, the vine is what feeds the branches, right? That's what gives them their nutrients, right? Do branches produce grapes without a vine? No, right? They don't. 
They have to have something giving them nutrients. So when, he, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, do you know what he is implying in that statement? What he is implying in that statement is that there are a host, perhaps, of other vines that we as the branches tend to feed off of. There are potentially other sources that we would consider, at least in part, by our action and our belief, that we believe that they're true to some extent, right? There are other things that we are feeding on. See, unlike branches on a grapevine, these branches that represent people, we don't stay put. We like to wander around. And sometimes we like to sample other vines. And we look around, you're like, you know what? I see what's happening in that person's life. And just using the process of, of deduction here, I see like they had this thing going for them and this thing going for them. So that must mean in order for me to experience a life like that, I need to have this thing over here. And so we go to this vine, we try to feed off of that, right? We find identity and security oftentimes in that and financial and material well-being. That's a vine. That's not a true vine, right? Is it wrong to have financial well-being? No. Is money a bad thing? No. Right, but when it's feeding me, when I'm drawing my sense of worth from that, when I'm drawing my truth from that, that's a false vine, right? That's like when you, you put your Christmas tree, you take it home after it's cut, and what do you put it in? Hopefully, what do you put it in? Water. That's the general idea, right? Now, is that a great long-term plan for that tree, for a full life? No, because at some point, it needs something more than just some water, There are nutrients that it cannot get. And just like that, whether it be money or whether it be a relationship, like investing all of my life into a relationship that's got to work out, so I'm willing to do whatever it takes to maintain that. Or maybe even a healthy way, like I, I... Maybe we've got a newborn you know, a kid in our house, and like we, we want you to experience all the things that a family has to offer. Right? And so we make a list of all the life experiences that I want them to have before they're going to be a well-rounded adult. Right? And we can actually dive into that. Is it a good thing to have a plan for my child's development? Sure. Right? But when that's driving my whole life, is that giving me that life? No. It can be a false vine, right? Financial well-being, relationships, personal achievement. What if, if, I, if I left tomorrow, what would be my legacy, right? Like, what am I leaving behind? Are people going to know who I was and, and what impact that I had, right? Am I doing better than the person that's beside of me at work, right? Do people know me by name? These are all things that, on the surface, they can be good things, but also they can, if I'm feeding only on that, it's going to leave me empty, And at some point, the decorations are going to come off, and the lights are going to come down, and the reality is going to set in that that didn't give me life. I invested so much of my time in it. I invested so much anxiety about this, and it left me empty. Jesus is like, I am the true vine. I'm the thing that you're looking for. I have what you need. What are you feeding on this morning? you think about the year, what if, what if, you, if you look back on, on 2019, and a good way to measure this is investments of time, right? Investments of things that occupy my thought process. What were the vines that you were feeding on this year, in 2019? Was it Jesus? He says, I am the true vine, and what does he finish that, that verse with? And my father is the vine dresser, right? The vine dresser being the gardener that takes care of the vine, 
knowing when and how to plant it, knowing which branches to trim back, knowing which branches to keep. You know, there's often supports that have to be put in a vineyard to hold up the branches when they get heavy and and knowing how to do that, knowing how to keep the balance of the soil right. These are important tasks, right, for a vine dresser. And so it talks about my father being the vine dresser. If Jesus is the vine, God is even working and, and using Christ in his plan Overall, which is to save mankind, right? We just celebrated that, that coming at Christmas time. God was working in that. He saw that we sinned against him. We left him. And he said, that's, that's not going to cut it. I'm going to send my son to save them. What was he doing? He was dressing the vine. He was preparing the vine. And when Jesus followed him in obedience to this earth as that baby so long ago, God was dressing the vine. And when Jesus went to that cross 30 years after that and died on the cross, he was dressing the vine. And now if we put faith and trust in him, we are those branches that are connected to that vine. And God's work, and this is the good part for us, it's not done yet. Like the faithful gardener, he goes out every day and he looks and he inspects the fruit and he looks at the vine. And he asked himself, not how can I get rid of something, but what more can I do with this? God looks at me that way. He says, what can I do with Mark? What more can I do with him? It's encouraging to me. If he's the vine dresser, that means that he has a master plan for my life. If he's the vine dresser, it means he has a purpose for me in bearing fruit. It's not in and of myself. But the thing is, is that the branch is always at the mercy of the what? the vine, to do the work, right? The grapevine doesn't dictate to the vine dresser how it wants to be cut, right? The, the vine dresser does the work. So my question is, with that, if you consider your connection today, are you, first of all, are you connected to Christ? Have you begun that relationship with him? If you say, yes, I have, part of that connection is being submitted to the vine dresser to do his work. Is there work that he needs to do in your heart? Do you need to submit to his master plan today? This is the second one. This is the way that we do that. And the way that it, it's often painful but necessary is to embrace the pruning process. Embrace the pruning process. You know, I learned something new this week. You ever heard the phrase trimming the tree? Like we use that. And you sing that a lot of Christmas carols this time of year. And uh, in my mind, I guess, maybe it was just me, but I just associated trimming the tree with just hanging the decorations on it. Is that, I mean, that's what we, we say that, right? Actually, where that comes from is the fact that like, when you used to get a tree many years ago, before there were nice tree farm setups for choose and cut and like, you know, lots everywhere, you went out into the woods, all right? And you took your ax and you cut down your tree. But here's the problem. The, those Fraser firs, whatever tree you, you know, variety you particularly like, they don't naturally come out that perfect like cone shape, all right? They don't. Right? You don't believe me? Go out in the woods and see it. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains, and they were everywhere, okay? So that they don't naturally look pretty like that. They're kind of like all over the place, all right? Some trees just don't get it. All their branches are on the top. They forgot to put some down at the bottom, you know? Some of the bigger ones are up there, and the smaller ones are down here. They don't naturally go that way. And so when you would go and get your tree, back in the olden days, you'd bring it inside, and then you'd have to trim the tree. You'd have to trim it. I don't know who decided that tree should be that perfect shape, all right, I don't know who came up with that, but like to keep it in line, to keep it looking beautiful in symmetry, you had to actually cut the branches. 
Now, some of us have to do that anyways. We're honest. We bring that tree in the house, and then someone else in the house is like, hey, I think you need to cut those branches off at the bottom. So you get the saw, and you cut those off. You're like, actually, I think you, now that you cut that one off, you need to cut this one off over here. And so you're sawing that one off over here. And before I know, there's a pile of branches, right, on a very little tree. Um, that's trimming the tree. You had to do that. It took intentionality to trim the tree. And so now the, the tree farmers do us a favor. And so every year after the tree gets to be about three feet tall, every summer they go out there and they shear the tree. They cut it to that shape every single year. Right? They go out there and trim it in the summertime. And then by the time you go out to pick it with your family, seven to eight years, that tree has grown, and now it's in that perfect shape. Now, did that shape ha- happen overnight? No. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of cutting. I would say even many of the branches that were cut were probably really healthy branches, right? It's probably why they grew so long, because they were so healthy. But they didn't fit into the plan for that tree. And so they were removed. And so we look in the passage here, and it says, back in in verse number three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And then back at verse two, every branch that's in me does not bear fruit. He takes it away. Who's he? The vine dresser. And every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. You look at God's master plan for our life in Christ. There's a pruning process that goes along with that. Now, the problem with that is, is in our mind, we don't associate painful things as necessarily being good things for us. Look at two different examples that he said here. Now, certainly in the context of what Jesus is teaching here, the types of branches he's referring to in this passage, a branch that does not bear fruit, he's taking away. Those are people that maybe said that they were following Christ, but truly they were not believers at all. People that do bear, the branches that do bear fruit are people that have a relationship with Christ that's growing. Right, but I, think, I don't think it's un- unreasonable to take that a step further to say that this applies even in my heart as a believer, to say that there are some things, there's dead wood that God in his love takes away. That's not bearing fruit. That needs to go. All right? There's also things, this is maybe sometimes the harder thing. There are things that are important to me. Maybe there are even things that that I want to do for God. I have goals for him. I have things that I would like him to do with my life. But God in his mercy, God in his sovereign plan says, you know what? Right now you need to wait. Right? You're, getting a little, you're getting a little further than your, your skis there. Right? We need to cut, cut it back just a little bit. Why? Because I want to see you really produce fruit with this. That's hard to do sometimes, right? Producing that godly fruit. Because a lot of times what happens is my pride is attached to that. And God in his love is not willing to let me continue to think that I made this happen. Because why? Who does he want to get the glory for what he does in my life? He wants him to get the glory. He's not doing out of some sort of like selfish, self-centered pity party like, well, I don't like, they're getting too much credit for this, so I'm going to hack it off right here so they don't get a big head. It's like a loving father. It says, I'm making you into a beautiful thing. And, and while that is a good thing, it's not part of the plan that I have for you. It's not part of the shape that I'm trying to make in you. Maybe that's something that will come later. But before you love, I'm going to trim that so that you can bear much fruit. Notice he says that that's the goal, right? If you abide in me, 
in verse number five, he will bear much fruit. God doesn't just want to produce a little bit of fruit in your life. He doesn't want you to have like a little bit of, of joy and peace, a little bit of, of, of satisfaction in him. He wants to give you much fruit. He wants you to enjoy what that fully means like. And if that means he has to take something away for now or put the brakes on something, then he's willing to do that, right? He's the master vine dresser. How does he do it, though? Look what it says in verse number three. Already you are clean because of the what? The word. The word that I've spoken to you. Cleaned. Idea, there's the same idea of pruning. It's the same word. Right? Already you've been pruned by the word that I've given you. How does the Father shape me into the image that he wants me to be? Through his word. Plain and simple, through his word. He uses his word, the truth that comes from that true vine, to shape me into who he wants me to be. There's no other option planned there. He's not saying, like, your feelings will help with that. All right, I'm going to throw in a little bit of uh, financial bonus for you to make sure that you know that I love you. He's saying, the thing that you need most is more of what I have to say. I don't know about you, but I like to talk a lot. Probably why I get to do this every now and then, all right? It's a natural thing. What's harder to do sometimes is to listen. And, and as we talk about in our house, listening is a lot more than just hearing words, right? It's eye contact, it's body language, and then ultimately it's what? Responding, right? That's what listening looks like. There's a lot of times where I read God's word, but I'm not listening. You know what I mean? It's interesting that God's word refers to itself as a a two-edged sword. I don't know about you, a sword does not sound like something that you want to play with, right? It's meant for battle. It's meant to get in there and and get a job done, and it's sharp. Two-edged sword, it can cut both ways. But God says, it may hurt sometimes for my word to draw things to your attention. That's dead wood, right? You need to move on from that. It hurts sometimes when I take something that you love, that you may even have the best of, 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 of intentions for, and to have to cut that back for a season. But I have a plan for you. I have a shape that I'm making you into. We're cleaned by his word. And being ready for all seasons, right? If you've got that picture of the evergreen that lasts in every season, being ready for all seasons does not require that I experience every situation in life. But the trials of my faith... Right? Those things that test that reality, those make my dependence on Jesus stronger as I believe and obey what he has already said. And sometimes we're looking for like new information from God to speak. God say something new. God's like, I've spoken. And, and what is true for you today is true for the people that first read this book. My word is shaping you. So the problem isn't in in the content. It's in the listener, isn't it? I don't want to take on the shape that God has for me. I want him to listen to me and shape me according to my plan. The problem with that idea is I'm I'm never going to produce the fruit that he promises. I'm never going to truly experience life in Christ if I'm trying to live it separated from his plan. That's just a reality. Like a Christmas tree laying on the side of the road expecting that it's going to make it. 
So you have some pruning that's happening in your life right now. Some of that may be things that you have no control over. But you need a new perspective to see, God, if this is happening in my life, because you are a good father and every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, and I believe that even though this hurts right now, that this must be from shaping me into the image of Christ. And maybe it's a changing of your mind to say, I believe that. Because God's word says that that's true today. That his word cleans me. Right? That there's a pruning process that's loving. I need to believe that today. Maybe you need to reframe your thinking in that. Maybe this has been a fantastic year for you. And if you're honest, in, that, in this year as you look back, you've started looking internally as to, the, as to the things happening in your life as being the cause. I caused this. Look what I've done. And somewhere along the way, you've taken one step, two steps, three steps away from the vine. And you're starting to put that confidence in yourself. Maybe today I would challenge you. Where are you connected to? Where are you trying to find that life today? If you want to see the fruit that he talks about here, God's work through me and in me, it comes on dependence on what the vine is feeding me. So we consider our connection. We embraced that pruning process, which is oftentimes uncomfortable. So what about the fruit? When does it come? Well, this is the last thing today. Stay and see. Stay and see. Stay and see. Look at back at verse number four. He says, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Man, if that isn't underlined in your Bible, it should be. Right? I don't like to think of myself as the branch all too often. But God says, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I just want to focus on that word abide for a minute. Abide in me. You know what he's saying there in that word? Stay. Stay. You know like when your kids are little and you have to go to work and they get up from the, the breakfast table wherever they are and they come running to you as you're going to the door and what are they screaming? Daddy, don't leave. Stay. Stay with me. As if you could just pick up the phone and be like, I'm not coming to work today because I'm just going to stay. Right? Maybe you should. I don't know, sometimes. That, that same sense of desperation, abide with me, stay with me. Now, different in Jesus' perspective, he's not saying it because he's desperate for our attention, as if he's like a, a needy person that needs my attention so bad. But from a sense that he knows what's best for me is for you to be with me. Another passage of Scripture, hold your place there in John chapter 15 and turn over to Luke chapter 10 real quick. Luke 10, verse 38. There's two, a story of two sisters here that Jesus goes to have a meal with. And as he's traveling through, uh, he, this is uh, Lazarus' sister, Mary and, and Martha. Verse 38 says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And there's a woman named Martha who welcomed him into her house. And, as, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, 
You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and that will not be taken away from her. Had two sisters here, same house, two completely different responses. Jesus comes to the house. He doesn't come there because he's hungry. He comes there because he wants to be with them. And Mary stays in the living room, sitting at Jesus' feet, hanging on every single word that he has. And Martha, we, we don't want to give her a hard time. She meant well, right? Like she, she was trying to be a good hostess, right? Trying to get the food on the table. Someone's got to be in the kitchen. Someone's got to get the table set. And honestly, she's peeking in. You can just see her while she's got the mixing bowl, making something, peeking around the corner, looking at Mary sitting on the floor, you know, bitterness in her heart. Doesn't she know how much I have to do to get this meal ready? And so she feels a little self-justified to go out there and be like, excuse me, Jesus. Do you know what a meal of this caliber requires? Mary's just sitting here. Like, could you like, give her a little of encouragement to get in here and help me? And Jesus looks at her with all of the love in his eyes and says, Martha, you are worried about so many things. So many things. You're, you're, you're feeding off of, of, a, of a false reality that I care most about being fed today. That I'm concerned about what happens in how, your housekeeping. That I'm concerned about all of the achievements that you need to make or this master plan you come up to. I love you, Martha. I want to be with you. And Mary's right down there. She's chosen the good thing. She stayed at my feet. This idea of abide. If you, if you heard earlier when I was saying the word cleans us, and in your mind you translated that into a task I need to do. Well, I need to get on that Bible app. Set up that plan for the new year. Maybe you do. That's a good thing. Right? I'm a big advocate for those Bible plans. All right? We need to be putting the truth in. But if you heard a task in that, you missed the point. Jesus is like, I don't want to be a, a to-do item on your list for the day. I want you to come and sit at my feet. And I want you to stay there. You know, it takes much more discipline sometimes to stay than it does to go. You and I, we're like Martha. We're anxious about many things. That's often because we're feeding on those false vines. Those things that tell us something that's not true about ourselves, about what true life really means. Jesus lovingly invites us back to the most simplest of things, but also the most difficult. And he says, you know me, you've met me, now stay with me. Sit at my feet. And it said back in John, if you abide in me and I in you, I can produce much fruit. That happens not through my action, but through the action of the vine in me. Let me ask you, friend, this morning. It's a crazy thing. As we, look about, as we think about a new year ahead, this, this, thinking about the future, there's a lot we just don't know what's going to happen this year. Right? This may be a fantastic year for you. This may be a season of summer in your life, right? So many memories, so many great things have happened. But it may be a season of winter in your life as well. And if you and I are going to experience that, that peace, that security, 
that hope, that promise that's ours in Christ, throughout all of the year and all of the seasons ahead, it goes back to the same thing. Stay with me. Stay with me. See what I can do in that.